five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA, and as you can tell, this isn't my usual studio, but I'm up in the North Woods, and um, we're setting up temporary accommodations here in Minnesota. So let's dig in, and first we're going to start with a bit from Pat McGee, and she's talking about tension envelopes and how they've put together a sample pack and how... Um, it really calls attention to the importance of the envelope. So let's go over some. And they've done a really nice job of, of showing just the power of the envelope. And it's funny, we don't often think about envelopes. We don't often think about the power that they can convey. And I think they, they reminded me that there is this just amazing story to be told, not only with what's in the envelope, but the envelope itself can tell a really great story. Now, you might be a printer who says, well, I just buy my envelopes. Uh, I, I don't really give them a lot of thought. You know, we just we buy white envelopes or blue envelopes or green envelopes and we stuff things in them. I think this is a really great time in the printing industry to start looking at all the technologies that are available to convey information out to the final consumer who's receiving the story. And in this case, the folks at Tension Envelope did a really amazing job at reminding us just how powerful the envelope itself can be. So uh, if you are uh, someone who does print and mail, uh, take a look at, at Tension and the other companies like Tension Envelope who do some really amazing work. You might also look around at the things that you do in your shop. Uh, you might have the capability to build your own envelopes and create unique experiences for your customers. Hope you'll think about it. I'm Pat McGrew. This is Print Sample TV. We hope you'll come back for another episode. So uh, I also want to make a note that uh, Mary England up at Amazon Graphics, who I'll be having coffee with tomorrow and is a WDMA member, is able to build a, seam, a sealed end envelope, number nine envelope, like a response envelope um, that people could put a check in and mail it back. So if you're having trouble sourcing a number nine, um, give me a call or give Mary a call and uh, she may be able to help you because she's actually helping out some very, very large envelope companies with that kind of deal. We had a really great time yesterday. Amazing time. Maybe even some new businesses have come out of it. Um, but it certainly looks like we have a couple of partnerships that came out of the meetup yesterday for WDMA. It's always fun. It's always an adventure. And there, we all seem to learn a lot and get a lot out of it. So, um, so let's get over to the rest of the news. As you probably have heard, Elon Musk has bought, uh, has bought Twitter, right? So here's a little article by Emily N. Edwards. And she says that Musk is right about some things, which is something in itself. She says she doesn't agree with Musk very often, but she does agree that Twitter is a public forum, and um, that it needs to be that it needs to be treated as such. In other words, you just you, you know that there are areas of speech that are not allowed that are inherently damaging and offensive. The classic case is yelling fire in a in a, in a crowded theater because people will get trampled to death. But um, she disagrees with so many people, uh, especially who don't share some of Musk's um, flair for capitalism, that, um, that Musk taking over and privatizing Twitter is the analogous to the uh, burning of the Library of Alexandria. <laughs> which is one of the great tragedies of, of all of human history. 
Okay, but uh, she said over she's found something like 150,000 mentions of leaving Twitter. Now, of course, up until now, um, leaving Twitter was something that Twitter decided, <laughs> mostly. Twitter could kick you off without defense, without cause. Um, she mentions a German law that uh, that Germany has law that has strong anti-Semitic laws. Uh, Poland has a, a law that says basically if the platform kicks you off, you're entitled to due process, and they can and and you can sue them for up to twelve thousand dollars if you're uh, if you've been banned without cause. Um, you know, in the case of my wife, she wasn't even told. She just tried to log on one day and couldn't get on anymore. And she tried to write to him. She tried to get any kind of appeal. Nothing, right? And as Joe Rogan pointed out, um, a lot of the people that got blocked for mentioning alternative treatment op options, at least, uh, to um, to the vaccination uh, and to other um and to other procedures that were being tried. Uh, the, the very fact that anything was questioned was caused for knocking you off, whereas in many cases now the CDC has come around and embraced some of those uh, alternatives. So, um, and, and in most cases, the people getting kicked off were more qualified medically than the people judging who should be kicked off. So there's clearly some room for um, mm, 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 intervention it, you know, you can't just say that uh, that Google and Facebook are private companies. They're public companies. Um, and, of course, now the, the cry will go up that in spite of all that, that Musk being in control justifies in itself reigning, reigning in at least Twitter. What was also interesting is, is Twitter is only like the ninth largest um, social media platform. I was kind of shocked at how small it was, maybe in terms of in terms of advertising. I think that might be it. Um, I'm looking for trying to find out where it was. But anyway, it was much smaller than I had expected. So um, leaving Twitter like leaving society is a myth. Well, it's probably, you know, you can't just say I'm going to pack it up and go to the hills. We're all connected together. We got to figure out how to live together. So it's not just a matter of consumer choice, but is a form of public forum. And as such, there should be some kind of due process, uh, something related to to legal parameters of free speech or of hate speech or of, of uh, objectionable speech. Um, one thing you can be sure of with free speech is that. If the definition of free speech is, is merely something that no, for which no one is offended, that's, you're pretty much better off flipping around and saying the, de the definition of free speech is something that offends someone, but still needs to be said. Okay, moving over here to the hustle. Coke had a little uptick in its, in its sales and something like 16%. Uh, Ritson, Mark Ritson had done a piece about how Coke, unlike Pepsi, had continued to spend in 2020. Um, Pepsi's CEO said, "Well, there's nobody buying, there's nobody buying Pepsi because the stores are closed." Forgetting about the vending machines, forgetting about the big box stores that were still selling plenty of stuff. 
Um, and so Pepsi only grew 6% year over year here, but Coke grew 16%. So one of the things you don't do in a downturn is stop all your marketing, even though it seems like it doesn't make sense. It's an investment in the future. And speaking of free speech, here's a, here's a real estate company, Lamb and Company Property. That's uh, the name of the real estate company. And they said, what the flock you looking at? And of course, sheep, you know, travel in flocks, right? Flock of sheep, you heard of that? We're bad. No, we're, we're, we're brilliant at getting your property noticed too. And then they have their contact information, Lamb and Company. And the ASA, which is the governing board uh, in the UK for offensive um, advertising, ruled that this was offensive enough. And uh, I underlined the red in red. It wasn't in underlined, but they said that's close enough to a word that people objected to object to, and you shouldn't be doing this. So. Okay, it seems a little subjective to me, but it's also across from a playground, which probably was not the best place placement. Okay, and finally, um, here's um, alistdaily.com, uh, Nielsen Fifth Global Annual Marketing. Um, they said that Nielsen's uh, marketing report um, said that from almost 2,000 marketers from around the world, with annual marketing budgets of a million or more, many industries, marketing's most important objective was brand awareness. Okay, then customer acquisition, then retention, advocacy, and etc. So, <coughs> um, this is a fairly complicated article, I have to say, but where it kind of settles down, this is kind of funny, is... Um, 64% of global marketers say social media is their most effective paid channel, okay? Um, but 22% and 22% said they expect to increase their social media spending by 50% or more. Um, what's especially funny though is that, uh, oh, and 46% said that they're extremely or very confident in direct mail. I thought I'd throw that in there because we talked about that a little bit. But then they got down to marketing metrics, and the number one marketing metric they were after was engagement, which I would say is not that great in social media. That's just what I'm saying. But it is great in direct mail. So if you're interested in measuring engagement, look to mail. Especially if you have a relatively limited market, you can go right at it and get, you know that every mail piece is delivered and engaged with. Okay, marketers surveyed are, this was funny, marketers surveyed are most confident in their ability to measure return on investment across social media. 64% said they were extremely confident, but global marketers' confidence in measuring ROI in general is low. The most important is the lack of confidence that marketers have in measuring ROI across other paid and traditional channels. 
As marketers lean into newer channels, they've expressed low confidence in being able to prove ROI, but they're sure they can do it in social media. That, to me, strikes me as funny. And only 26% of global marketers are fully confident in their audience data, especially since you basically have to trust the social media company to tell you who your customers are. And in a presentation at Namoa a few years ago, a one of the largest catalogs in America, or the longest running, uh, gave their data to a large, large, large company, uh, internet company that starts with a G, they said, and um, ended up getting a refund of six or seven figures because they just didn't have a clue of who the customers were. Very, very difficult to know who your customers are. Um, so 36% claim that data access identity resolution and deriving actionable insights from data is either extremely or very difficult. So in spite of the fact that they're all in on social media and its ability to, to track, they're not confident that they're actually doing it. And they're not confident that they actually know their audience. So if you want help with that, if your brand has got a couple of million dollars or more, I'd be happy to help you understand, test, measure, and prove what your audience is like and the engagement level and the causal impact in the sales channel of mail. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.